Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? The Spring 2020 Session of the ADHD Essentials Online Parent Coaching Groups launch Monday, March 16th. And registration is going on right now. So if ADHD is causing things to be more difficult in your home than they need to be, conflict over homework, struggles at bedtime, that rushed and anxious feeling in the morning, difficulty communicating and connecting with one another, send me a line. I'm currently registering people for free information sessions. I'd love to include you in those calls. So send me a line at brendan at adhdessentials.com or... Go to ADHDessentials.com slash parent groups to get more information on what the groups look like and to register for that free information session. As usual, another big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. He did the heavy lifting editing this episode, and I couldn't keep this going without him. Learn more about his work at idealvideostrategies.com. And of course, if you're not listening to Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb and ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, you're missing out on two solid resources for the ADHD crew. In Hacking Your ADHD, Will Curb explores ways that we can work with our ADHD brains to do more of the things we want to do. And ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers is a show designed for adults who have really good intentions but slightly wandering attention. Welcome to ADHD Essentials. Today, we're talking to Mike. Mike is a former Marine a business consultant, and a recently diagnosed single dad with ADHD. In today's episode, Mike talks about how his military training has reframed his perspective on accomplishments, the power of giving ourselves more credit, why we should let our kids make small mistakes here and there, and the importance of self-care and self-compassion. All right, let's get rolling. So yeah, I'm Mike. Uh, I'm a dad with ADHD. I'm recently diagnosed, 37 years old. So a whole world in my life that uh, I didn't realize all the struggles I had were actually part of ADHD. I'm a former Marine. I'm a business consultant. I own an IT professional consulting company. And so yeah, just kind of all over the board there. I've got two kids, a 15-year-old now as I get my son's age wrong, and 11, almost 12-year-old daughter. And yeah, just kind of enjoying the experiences of raising a daughter that's possibly ADHD and, you know, a small family and trying to figure it all out. Are either of your kids diagnosed? Uh, my kids are not diagnosed as of yet. You know, honestly, the diagnosis for me has been kind of eye-opening in some of the issues that my daughter has struggled with her whole life. We've always kind of created tools for her, but the diagnosis has kind of helped me realize that we need to get her in and, and have her talk uh, with our psychologist or psychiatrist, I apologize as well, because we believe she may be as well. So you're kind of doing it backwards. Most of the people I talk to, the parent figures out the ADHD after the kid gets diagnosed, but you're getting your diagnosis and then looking at your, your daughter. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's true of most things I do in my life. I always do them uh, upside down. But uh, yeah, it's 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 funny. I've had enough people that have commented on the fact that, you know, you're kind of ADHD. And they, I think they meant it more as a cut down, which is funny. And that's something I'm sure we'll talk about. But it, it finally sunk in with me. So I went in and, you know, and talking with the psychiatrist about all the issues that I've kind of had in my life and looking back at the things my daughter struggles with, right? The focus, the the ability to sit down and actually accomplish it on the first attempt, uh, which I still swear is as hard as building the Great Wall of China. You know, we, we struggle with the same issues. And so, yeah, it's, we, we are, we're absolutely doing it backwards. Awesome. That's completely ADHD appropriate. <laughs> um, <laughs> it sounds like you were kind of a young dad, right? You're, you had your 15-year-old when you were 22, if I'm doing my math right. Yeah, I think that's, uh, let's see, so 20, 21. Yeah, it would have been 21 or 22. I guess I would have just turned 22 when I had my son. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very young dad. Not sure I'd suggest it for most people. But, uh, you know, I, I live in Utah. I hate to say that's super common, but well, it's really stinking common in Utah. You didn't mention a wife or a, or a spouse. Are you married? Are you a single dad? What does that look like? Yeah, so that's kind of come and gone. Uh, you know, the same struggles that we have with ADHD. I think we one of the things that seems to be pretty common in the ADHD world, and I don't know that we talk about it a whole lot, is, is the level of divorce. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a hard topic in life. But yeah, I've gone through that. And it's a, it's a hard journey at times. But yeah, so yeah, we've just got our small family now and kind of move forward with it. How does the recent diagnosis of ADHD, I guess, reframe your past experience as a dad? You know, as a dad, um, this is going to sound horrible, but for me, the ADHD as a dad has almost been like one of the saving graces, right? Um, Having kids, I think a lot of parents, and I never understood this, right? Parents would talk about, oh, it's so hard. They always want to do these 800 things. I was like, oh, it's great. I finally have people with my energy level that want to do all the things that I do and jump around as much as I do. You know, as a dad, it, it almost made me feel like I was back on track, right? I, it made me understand why it was so easy for me in ways and so hard for other people. Although in the same aspect as, as a dad, once I discovered, you know, uh, that I had ADHD, the, the uh, homework and all the things that my son struggles with and I struggled with as a kid, I realized, oh, I still suck at this as a 37 year old is still really difficult as far as reframing it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's making me realize that, yeah, these struggles and these things that I had as a kid, I'm still going to have, but now I understand why. And I have coping mechanisms to be able to deal with them. I couldn't agree more about that energy level part that you just mentioned, because I was the same kind of dad. I still am the same kind of dad. My guys are 10, but I, I'm the same kind of dad, right? Where I remember when they were little, like when they were just out of toddlerhood and sort of that, like five, six, seven, eight, kind of age and we're running around in the backyard and I'm I'm the parent who's running around in the backyard like every all the other parents are standing there like at the grill and being all chilled out and drinking their water or whatever and having a conversation sitting at the picnic table and those sorts of things and I'm tearing around the yard doing like diving leaps over a rocking horse and stuff because I'm that's what you do when you play with kids. Like that's how you play with kids at that age. Well, and let's be honest, it's so much more fun to be out there with the kids and like having fun than standing around the grill and, and talking about, well, how's business for you? Oh, you know, business is great. You know, I'd much rather be with the kids where there's a sincere connection 
and you actually get to enjoy life, right? That's one of the the things I've always loved about this is okay. This sounds very arrogant, but I've always loved this about myself that I enjoy life. Like I take every moment of life and I jump into it because it's like, you know, it, who knows how long it's going to be here. Let's enjoy it while we're here. And I think that's something that as somebody with ADHD, we do kind of inherently, or at least a lot of us do is we really take every bit of life and just dive into it. I'd much rather do that than stand around the grill and talk about how, you know, how business went, how your last deal was. Yeah, I agree. And kids kind of give you an excuse to do that a little bit too, right? Like, especially when they're at that younger age and like the rough and tumble play is just more of what they want to do. Then you can kind of be an idiot and roll around and all that stuff. Right. You can't just like grab your 42 year old buddy and be like, Hey, come here. You know, like my buddies aren't safe either. Let's be honest. I'll pull anybody into it. All right. Yeah, that, that's that might be a military thing. Maybe it's just because I was not <laughs> in the military and I can only do that at the dojo. But and let's make that transition. Let's shift over there. Because so many people with ADHD go into the military. Are you seeing the draw of the military and the ADHD connection? Or is it just something that was like it's been in your family? So that's what you did? Or wh- where does that play in? You know, for me, um, honestly, so I joined after September 11th. I literally signed September 12th. I was really emotionally compromised by that whole thing. Uh, and that's another term I realize is, is probably a military term. But September 11th, it, it broke me. And so I was, I was very angry. That's why I signed. Um, now, after the fact, looking back, I realized that the military and that, that structure and the design of it, it, it is, it's perfect for people for ADHD because they give you structure. They help supply you, you know, with the coping tools that we need to, to manage our life. You know, I still get up every day and make my bed, right? Make the rack. I still do hospital corners, which by the way, if you're married and your wife doesn't like hospital corners, that's a real quick way to just start a fight every day because you get up and you remake their bed. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it is that structure. It, it helps give you anchor points throughout the day. So as you get loose, you can come back to these things that they, they've helped generate for you to, to manage your life. And so, yeah, that, that really appeals. And it's, it's one of those things that honestly, I look back and I go, I don't know that there's anything that would have been better for me in my life at that point than joining the military, especially not knowing. Um, I think it probably delayed the process of me figuring out that I was ADHD in a way, but it gave me all those tools that had I have known I had ADHD that I should have developed. What are some of those coping strategies and and life management strategies that the military is giving you? You know, a lot of them are everything from, you know, just day-to-day management of skills. So things like, hey, let's, you know, first things first, get up, accomplish something, make a bet, you know, and then as soon as you do that, the next thing you do, you get up, you brush your teeth, right? You, it's this structure, right? These, these things that they don't change no matter where you are. Like literally I can be at a hotel in wherever the heck we were. And now I can't remember Philly. That's horrible <laughs> in Philly, right? So in Philly, you could have come over to, to my hotel room and you walked in and the bed was made. My bed was made and I brushed my teeth. Right. And so it's these, it's these things that you do no matter what, every single day, no matter where you are, uh, unless you're forward deployed, right? You know, the teeth weren't always brushed. We won't talk about how gross that is. But, you know, you get up, you do those same things. And that structure is what provides you safety. And it's what provides you peace of mind, no matter where you're at, right? So you could have people shooting at you, but in the same aspect, your bed's made. And you're, you're up, you're ready, you know how things are, at least you know how certain things are going to run in your life. And so having ADHD at times, 
you don't know that, right? Like I don't necessarily know. Uh, I, I have really bad emotional dysregulation. I've got really bad uh, the rejection sensitivity. And so I, I struggle with some of those things. And so I don't know how some of my emotional things are going to go, but I absolutely know that I can depend on my bed's going to be made. For me, the dishes are kind of a big thing. So the dishes are going to be done, right? I think there's going to be certain things that I can always rely on and they ground me, right? They keep me in the here and now. And so, yeah, I, it's, they, they kind of provide those. Now on the other side, uh, just a, as a weird side note on this, they also, because of my skill set and what I had to do, compartmentalization, which I don't know is always great, but for me being able to take and go, okay, the situation that happened with this person doesn't need to affect my situation with another person, right? So just because I'm having a really bad moment with, you know, my commanding officer and maybe one of my senior NCOs doesn't mean that I can don't turn around and, and I can have a completely different relationship with these people. Emotional dysregulation at times, I think it's super easy, right, to just kind of expound, you know, I had a bad moment here and it destroys everything. And with the military, part of what they taught me was, was that compartmentalization, how to turn around and, and separate what happened here from what's happening with uh, an entirely different group of people so I can, you know, put on a different face. And at times it makes it really lonely. And I hate to admit that. And if you make me cry, I'll never forgive you. But, you know, you, you have these bad moments and then I turn around and, I, and nobody would ever know because I've completely segmented that off from, from these people. And so it's both a, a benefit and a drawback, but it's really helped with things like emotional dysregulation for me because I, there are times that I do, I feel like I'm failing and I feel like I'm, everything's falling apart that day, but I can turn around and still completely accomplish everything that I'm trying to do with a different client and then go home and you know, suffer alone. It's not sad or anything. <laughs> There's a drive for accomplishment making the bed, doing the dishes, those are small accomplishments that are building up as things you can hang your hat on. It's a way to, to maintain your ability to trust yourself, which is a challenge for folks with ADHD because often we have, because we often let those little things slide. And so it becomes an issue where we start to feel like, well, I haven't cleaned my office. I haven't done the dishes. I haven't made my bed. How can I expect that I'm going to be able to land this client, complete this deal, finish this project. And often we are able to because those bigger things, clients, projects, there's way more dopamine in that for us. And so because we lack that dopamine and because we don't use it efficiently, the small dopamine bursts don't matter as much. They're not as obvious, but the big stuff really gets us rolling. And what you've been trained to do is to not just do the dishes and make your bed, but the way you're framing that in your mind, the perspective you're taking of that, is making it a bigger dopamine burst because you're, you're literally saying, I made my bed, I already accomplished something today. As opposed to what I think happens for a lot of us, which is, I made my bed, now my mom's not going to be mad at me. Despite the fact that I'm 56 years old and I don't live with my mom anymore, <laughs> Well, and that's, and that's the thing, right, is it's reframing, um, reframing the importance of tasks, right? So for me, making that rack or the bed in the morning is huge, right? Because it's, you know, it's that step that anchors the whole day. And so I know if I start the day and I don't make the bed and I don't accomplish anything else, I, I haven't accomplished anything, right? But if I wake up and I make the bed, 
I can fail the rest of the day and go, but I made my bed, right? Or I can get up, I can make the bed, and then I can brush my teeth with, let's be honest, sometimes our brains go 8 million places. It's hard to remember that. But getting up, making the bed, brushing your teeth, those are, for me, those are huge accomplishments. I make anything I do becomes an objective. It becomes a waypoint, right? And so no matter what happens after that waypoint, I can reset and go, yeah, but I, I did this. I made it here. And it sounds, maybe it sounds asinine, but for me, those celebrations and the really small things for most people, for me, those are great, huge accomplishments that I can always look back on and go, I did it. You know, I didn't fail today. I made the bed. I didn't fail today. I brushed my teeth. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it is. It's the celebration of, of everything. Everything is small, right? And if everything's small, everything's a big victory. Yeah, that's awesome. I really like that perspective. That, that really appeals to me. And the fact that you're able to use it as a waypoint when you're having a day where stuff's going wrong and, and everything's falling apart and you're like having that imposter syndrome attack or, or just struggling with that rejection sensitivity and, and being like, oh, I thought I was going to make my boss happy, land that client whatever the case may be. And, and, and that's not what happened. And now I'm at sea. You're like, but I've done this, this, and this, I am reliable. I am consistent. And that means that I'll be able to get through this harder day. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the one thing you've got to be really careful on is, is the exact opposite, right? So where I use it to build me up, I've also had days where I haven't made the bed and then I let the entire day go to junk. Right. And it's, and you look at it and you go, okay, just because I didn't accomplish this today doesn't mean I'm a failure. I do it most days, but it does mean that, okay, it's, it's that same thing. I used it as a waypoint to go, you didn't do this, but you can do one of the other things. You can, and, and literally there's like 30 things throughout the day, right, that you can do. I always make a habit of asking people how they are. I always try and want, learn one new person's name a day, right? So I've got all these things every day that I, I try and, and accomplish. And if I can accomplish two, I've accomplished something, right? So if I, if I don't make my bed, but I learn somebody's name and I, I ask them how they are and I have a sincere conversation, I feel like I've succeeded that day. And I, and I think that's the other hard part is making sure that we're not setting these huge requirements for ourselves only to be let down every day, right? Like I used to use to-do lists until I realized that my to-do list absolutely made me feel horrible every day because I'd look at it and I'd be like, well, two done, 12,000 missing, I failed. I almost brought this up a minute ago. I almost brought this up a minute ago, but I'm going to bring it up now because you're, you're pushing me into it. <laughs> I used to do, and I should go back to it. I used to keep a to-done list and it's a thing of my own making. And what the to-done list is, was at the end of the day, I would write down five things that I did and then three things I had to do the next day. So I was always in the black. Like I was never in debt because I'd always done five things and only had three things left. And it actually ended up being useful because some of my things on the to-do list would carry over day to day. And because I was filling this in every day and I wasn't getting that thing done, it allowed me to start to see where my priorities were. It allowed me to start to see where some of my anxieties were because some of the things I wasn't avoiding because they weren't important, I was avoiding them because they made me anxious. And that helped me deal with them. So that, because that's in here, that idea of the to-do list is overwhelming because there's 12 things on it and only two things happened, but also getting credit for what you've done, like taking credit for making the bed, taking credit for brushing your teeth, taking credit for doing the dishes. That's in there too when you're reframing. And that's, and I think that's it, right? Is, is 
we take a lot of those things that I, I don't think we give ourselves enough credit, right? So we're going through and we're setting these lists up and we don't write down the things we do every day because, well, we do them every day. And you look at it and you go, well, why not? That's a big thing. You know how many people, you, you know, and I don't care what it is. You got dressed, right? Good job. Like I know people that don't get dressed. I know people that, that you know, they can't get dressed or they, they struggle to brush their teeth or they, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that can't do some of the things that you do every day. Celebrate those things that you do because you, as you look back and you go, look, you know what? I may not have finished my English homework in time, but I got my math homework done. Like, perfect. You've got both a goal and something you accomplish. Celebrate the thing you accomplish. Don't just write that off because you didn't get everything done that you want to do. And it is. It's that For me, it's that celebration in life and the celebration in all those small things that, that you have gotten accomplished that really, that really helps. So when, when it comes to your military experience, right, because you were an interrogator, so your kids just don't get away with anything, I'm assuming. Absolutely not. No, it's, it's one of the, the jokes that, you know, my, all my friends have said over time, and, and yeah, we've even joked with the kids directly about, right, is, you know, you can't lie to me. And, and so the, there's two foundations that our home are built on, right? It's safe here, and you're always better off telling the truth because we can always work with the truth. In fact, that's the one thing. If we ask rule number one in the house, and I wish the kids were here, I'd have them do it. They'd say, we can always work with the truth. And it's, it's a hard concept to learn because the truth can be scary, especially when you are ashamed and you've done something wrong. But yeah, no, it's, the kids have definitely learned by a trial and major error that you can't get away with anything in this house. And that kind of brings me back to a point that I lost earlier that I probably have edited out by now. But it was about that taking credit, right? And how we don't take credit for stuff often enough. But we do take blame for all of the things that we do wrong so we may as well take credit for the stuff that we do right. And, and that's where the guilt comes in and the shame comes in around making a mistake. And so I like the fact that you're, I, I just, I love that phrase of we can always work with the truth because it helps avoid some of that blame and shame and guilt. Now it's just a problem to be solved. When you're talking to your kids, when you're kind of drilling down and getting that information from them that they may or may not want to share, how are you doing that? Are there some skills that you can pass on to our audience of parents who are like, man, my kid is 16 and is doing all kinds of stuff. I'm just not sure what it is. Is there any kind of questioning stuff that you can provide with us? Uh, you know, realistically, all everybody, right? We all crave human connection. We all crave, the teenagers especially, I don't care what your teenager says, they want connection. And I think that's, it's, it's easy to look at, look at these teenagers like they're, they're not human beings at times. You know, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes my son makes decisions that I'm, I'm looking at them going, where was your mindset there? Like, what were you thinking when you made that decision? But I think we've all been in points, even in our adult lives, that we, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know where we're at. And so we make these rash decisions because we have to make a decision. And sometimes we're being flippant about it. We just make the decision because we have to. You know, if somebody tells me I have to do something, sometimes I do it completely wrong just to prove a point. Like I have control over this. And so in talking with the kids and, and for me, it's about not separating myself from them as I'm an adult, you're a kid. We're people right? My kids have a ton of things I've learned from them. They've, they've taught me a ton, but they're still learning too. And so when it comes down to it, I don't blame them necessarily for, you know, you didn't do your homework. Well, that, yeah, that's stupid. It's not going to, you accomplish nothing by not doing your homework, but sometimes homework is hard. 
And, and so it's having an understanding and helping them make the decisions and helping them come around. You know, it's that old adage, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. You can't make your kids succeed. You can't make your kids. I think at times we want to make them into the kids we want them to be, but that's kids are, they are who they are, right? So we can help them take the steps. And maybe I guess to tie this all together, the big thing that we learned from interrogation is the best thing you can do is to help somebody get where, reframe them so they want to get to the same place that you want to get to or change your expectations and get to a middle ground. My son's a wrestler. My son's a, you know, does all these things. And it's funny because he does them 90%. And sometimes it's because I realize that I'm forcing him to go to a place I want him to be. When what the real conversation is, well, what do you want? Where do you want to be? Is what you're doing going to get you there? If not, how can I help you get to that place that you really want to be? You know, you're right. Maybe you don't want to be a state wrestler. Do you want just to, is this just a way to stay in shape? Okay, is, it, is what you're doing going to get you there? Or, you know, what is your goal? What, what would you like? Like, is your goal just to not have homework? Do we need to find you, uh, are you not understanding concepts? How can we help you so it's not so miserable to get through the process? And so for my son in new math, and we won't get into a dissertation on new math, but it was, you know, okay, so this is new math. This is the math I learned. How, you know, how can I help you understand the concept better so it's not so painful to do this, you know, this multi-factor uh, equations or, or, you know, what can we do to, to help simplify it for you? And so just kind of providing the tools so they can grow themselves because that's, you know, that's childhood, right? Is figuring out how to manage your life, not, you know, mom and dad, tell me exactly what I need to do. It's instead of us giving them the tools so they can be the people that they're going to be if they, if we can help them succeed. The subtext of that is something that I've been talking about in my parent coaching groups recently. And that is respect and influence as a parent is better than power and control every single time because power and control is finite. And respected influence is infinite. Well, and I would even argue to say that power and control are completely arbitrary because if you look at this, right, and you say, you know, I've got a 15-year-old kid or, okay, I've got a 12-year-old daughter and I've got, I'm having a heart attack because, you know, she's growing up. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, I wanted to dress like a nun. Okay, not necessarily. But the, the truth of the matter is, is I can enforce her dressing like a nun for about nine hours a day. But the second she walks out of my house, I lose all of that. So is it better to control or to teach them how to control themselves, right? Is it better to, to hold power over them or to teach or, or empower them to run their lives, right? And I think that's, it's a hard concept, especially for me with ADHD, because I want to control everything so I know how it's going. But the truth of the matter is it's, it's much better for them to, for me to give them the tools and help them manage their own lives. That reminds me of a story my mom told me when I was, I was probably in high school. I don't know. I don't remember why she told me the story, but, but her mom was like dressed like a nun, right? Like that was the jam. And my mom going to high school would, and this was like skirt length stuff. I'm sure it was like her mom wanted her to wear a skirt that was at her ankles and she wanted to wear a skirt that was like halfway off her calf or whatever. Cause it was like the fifties. Like it's not, it's not, the 60s yet, where all of a sudden skirts are really short. 
but she had a skirt that was shorter than her mom would ever let her wear, my grandmother. And she literally hid it in the bushes outside of her house and would leave for school, take it out of the bushes, and then change. Well, that's the thing, right? If, if your kid really wants we don't give our kids enough credit for how creative they really are. Like if your kid wants something and you absolutely like, if you put your foot down, it almost makes it more fun. I mean, I remember being a teenager and being told you can't do that. And I'm like, oh, you want to make a bet? I can absolutely do this. I'm just not going to tell you how I'm going to do it. And I think that's, that's the thing. That's what makes it's that to, to not jump into Taoism here, but it, that, that forbidden fruit, right? That, that, uh, that thing that we're not allowed to do, the excitement of the non-allowed is part of nature, right? The, the very denying of what you're supposed to do is very empowering. And so telling somebody you can't do it, it only makes it more fun when you do. And so, like I say, it's, it's part of helping people set their own guidelines, right? I appreciate when people have morals and they, and they have goals and they have things that they want for me. But if I don't have those same goals and we're not aligned, it's not going to do any good. And, and that's especially true for teenagers where they're just, they're supposed to be oppositional. They're supposed to be defiant. They're supposed to be rebelling because they're beginning to assert their independence, which they're going to need in the coming years. So that's supposed to happen. But if you've steered them well as a parent, you probably don't need to worry that much. Like I was, I used to sneak out of my house in the middle of the night, right? I had a, a basement bedroom that I think I pushed for probably. And I would climb out the window and go off with my friends. The thrill for me was the climbing out the window and the being out late at night and all that stuff. As soon as that friend group started doing stuff that was not okay, that was something other than just wandering the streets at night. And I lived in the suburbs. It's not like I was risking my life or anything. But as soon as drugs and alcohol became a part of that, I was done. I didn't stay with that friend group. I didn't have a friend group to sneak out with for a little while there. But that's because my parents took more of a respect and influence approach than a power and control approach. And I grew up thinking, if this is something I don't want to tell my parents about, I'm just not going to do it. I still pretty much hold that true today. I mean, I wouldn't have kids if I was completely committed to that. But by and large, if it's not something I'm willing to tell the tale to my parents, I'm just not doing that. And that's that thing, right, is, is that moral compass. The power control really help you. And, and fear, and I'll tell you, the military is huge on fear-based motivation. And I tried and I tested, it doesn't. It works a little bit. It's so much better to have respect than it is to have fear. You know, that, that says a lot, right? Being able to, you know, you snuck out, which you probably shouldn't have done, but then you got there and you realized, yeah, I don't want to do this. You know, it, I did the same thing. I used to ditch just because I could, right? I had a car. I was like, oh, I'll ditch high school. And what did I do? I drove to Sonic and sat there for an hour and went, well, I guess I'll go back to high school now because I don't want to go drink like everybody else is doing. So I'd take everybody out, drop them off, and then go back to high school and I'd go back to my next period class, right? It's giving them that moral compass and that strength and, and the freedom, I guess, is a huge part of this. And that's the hard part as a parent is going, look, I'm going to give you the freedom to screw up so you can screw up a little. <laughs> so when that time comes along, when you have the choice to screw up big, you go, no, that's too much screw up. I'll go back to my normal screw up. And I think that's, it is, it's scary. And as a dad, like I have a heart attack about that, those moments of, well, what if, 
you know, what if I let him ditch and he goes out and I'm a granddad, right? You know, it, 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 let's, let's be honest, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I love kids. But fear of giving them the freedom and then them screwing up, it's part of life, right? We have to, they're going to do it at some point. You could control them until what, 18, 16. I mean, it depends on where you're at. So it, we have to, at some point, give our, give our kids the trust to go, look, you're a good kid. I've, I've done what I can and I'm always here and I'll always love you. But now go live. And if you need me, I'm here, come back. But otherwise, go live. I trust you. You're going to make good choices. And when they screw up, fixing them a little bit, sending them back out, turning around, right, falling off a bike, put them back on the bike, rub their back. Hey, you're doing all right. Give them a hug, send them back on their way. Awesome. Just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? For me, one of the big things out of, the, of all the ADHD that I learned and, and all the struggles that I have in life is we've got to take time for self-care. You know, as I've, and, and I'm not going to cry, but um, as we get into this and, and go through life, I think it's super easy with ADHD to care so much about others and to uh, celebrate everybody else's victories. And then when it comes back to us, everything we've done wrong, right? I could, if you asked me for a list, I could provide you 1,200 things I've done wrong in the last two weeks. Um, and it's hard, right? It's hard to, to look at life and go, yeah, I've done this real well. I've done this real well. Um, when the the things we failed at are blaringly obvious, you know, sometimes it's it's as little as, you know, I, I cooked dinner and nobody liked it. Um, and we fall apart and we've got to realize, you know, we're it's okay. We are allowed to have things that we fail at. We're allowed to we're allowed to have feelings. Um, that's my hard one. I don't, you know, I struggle having feelings and emotions and sharing them, but we have to take time for self-care, for self-love, and to to build ourselves back up um, after after at life. You know, life happens, and we have to give ourselves the allowance to go. You know what? It's okay. Today wasn't bad. I can or today wasn't that good, but that's okay. Tomorrow will be good. I'm allowed to take a break. I'm allowed to breathe. I'm allowed to not make my bed today. Um, and those, those small moments of reprieve, I think are huge for people with ADHD because without them, without those moments where we feel safe and loved and, and cared for, we can really tear ourselves down. And so if, the, if, if of all the things that I could talk about and people could learn about of all the things, at least for me that are most important, it's that fact that we have to take time to take care of ourselves. Cause if we don't, we'll never be able to make it. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.